Stacey. Hello, Mum. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Christmas is gone. Yeah. New Year's gone. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm glad we've made it to the other side, Stace. <laughs> well, I had a little adventure before Christmas. I almost didn't make it. What happened? I was making merry, as is my want and right at Christmas. But I got on the train to come home. So you did. And um, I fell asleep. And instead of getting off... You you ended up in another country, didn't you? I did end up in another country. Instead of ending up in Reading, which is half an hour ride, ended up in Swansea, which is 200 miles away. But it was only around the corner from where you used to live live <laughs> that doesn't help that's not where i needed to be you're like a homing drunk they always <laughs> go back to where they used to live <laughs> so i had to uh wait for the first train back to reading from swansea i had to get home kip hadn't been fed he was so annoyed he was sending me text messages like uh, where are you i can't open the food myself does he just text one thumbed <laughs> He uses his nose. His phone recognises his nose print. Oh, right, okay. It's not voice activated then. No. It's not like, here, Siri, Siri, Siri. No. Me getting stuck on a train did not come very well after just two weeks earlier when I left a suitcase on the train. Again, I was drunk. Did you get it back? Yeah, it ended up in Bristol and I had to get it delivered. But I was really worried that they might think it's a bomb and explode it. Like they did when we went to London and they blew our lunch up. Yeah, yeah. Uh. (laughs) With my spare pair of pants in the side pocket. (laughs) Yeah, luncheon pants. And I'd made them scotch egg special as well. (laughs) In my suitcase, we'd just been doing our Christmas play at work. And in my suitcase was wigs and male-sized high heel shoes and makeup. And I, I had this image of them blowing up the suitcase and wigs flying out, landing on the heads of the policemen. And then they're like in drag and they look fabulous. Oh! <laughs> anyway, everything is back in the house now where it belongs, including me. Good. Don't get lost because we've got a lot to do for this episode. What are we talking about? We are talking about madness. Madness. I'm going to be talking about maniacs, lunatics, hysteria and the real mad hatter. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about hypnosis and lobotomies. Oh, dear me. I I shied away from the lobotomies. I will make it as listener-friendly as possible. It won't be suitable for the children, but I will try not to make it gross. So let's start then. Let's do it. Coming from Reading, it's Stacey, your host... While mums with flamingos on the Spanish coast You'll find two ladies full of nonsense and laughs Making a podcast called Rough Giraffe Let me tell you about hysteria Oh yeah, go for hysteria I was looking up a bit about that myself and it's fascinating Hysteria is from the Greek word hystera Which means uterus Yeah Now It was believed by the Greeks that women had a wandering womb. (laughs) I was born under a wandering womb. 
Yeah, right. I wander lonely as a womb. I wander lonely as a womb and all that sort of stuff. Where did it wander? All over the body. Oh. Causing, as they said, mischief. Oh, naughty wombs. Yeah. Sometimes the wandering womb would get agitated. I sound like Jonathan Watts. (laughs) (laughs) The wandering womb would get agitated. Yeah. And it would have to be calmed down by a severe manipulation of the female parts. Uh, How and by whom? Oh, by a doctor. Okay. How? Uh, (laughs) If there's anybody listening that doesn't know how a woman's parts are severely manipulated, (laughs) you need to go and listen to another podcast. This is not the podcast for you. It's not the podcast for you. It's where you get the word hysterectomy from because they thought that if they took all your hystera away, you would no longer be troubled by the hysterics. Yes. Didn't they think that women had semen in their womb? It was female semen. Yes. So they try and get that out by hosing them. Oh, that's horrible. Just with a pressure washer. Like that sort of thing, yeah. They'd be pumping at one end and hosing at the other. It seems so archaic, and yet it was still being used. The term was still being used about 50 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the symptoms of hysteria were just basically symptoms of being a woman weren't they well or depression or anxiety or you see you just said being a woman what no but i mean back in the day just you know having mood swings or just being a bit depressed or not wanting to go out or not wanting to have sex or wanting to have too much sex or all of these things are just normal things in life but that was a base basically being hysterical yes especially if you needed sex that was definitely frowned upon despite the fact that the treatment for it is to have sex (laughs) well only from the outside but yes (laughs) they say that uh childless people were most likely to succumb to hysteria is that because they had all that seed in them probably and then they decided that women that had had lots of children would also get hysteria yes and then they decided that widows were likely to get A married woman with one child would be all right. Yeah, I think so. So they use treatments to try and cure it. In the 18th and 19th century... Gosh, I dread to think what they use apart from the hosing. What else did they do? uh, Other than participating in sexual intercourse. Mm, That was it really, was it? Well, it was actually medical advice that if a woman, an unmarried woman, was suffering from hysteria... The medical advice was for her to go and find a husband. I read that they believed that the male male sperm... I'm saying male sperm because they thought that there was female. Yeah, the fe- female semen and male sperm then. They thought that the male sperm had healing properties and only by having sex could the woman be healed from her hysteria. Yeah, and hysteria became known as the widow's disease because if they believed that if the patient could not release this female semen yeah it would turn venomous Ooh, dum, dum, dum. oh yeah and they also said that if they could spread their legs 
and squat over some scented oils that were burning, mm. that might fumigate their uh, down belows. Don't get too close to those hot oils. You're going to have uh, waxing as well as uh, fumigation. Oh, my God. Fumigating your genitals. Yeah. They also thought that it was the uterus that was out of place. So they tried what's called sneeze therapy. <laughs> where they tickled your nose, put you in a position where they made you sneeze and that would make uterus go back into place. (laughs) That's not been very successful, I don't think. I love the way in the old journals that I've been reading, it always says the affected parts. The woman must address her affected parts. Guess who isn't coming to dinner? Guess who isn't coming to dinner? This androgynous 80s pop star died of a heart attack aged 57. He was the lead singer of the band that gave Stock, Aitken and Waterman their first number one hit. He became a familiar, if somewhat bizarre, celebrity face due to his appearance on Celebrity Big Brother and his obsession with plastic surgery. His 2006 biography was titled Freak Unique. Uh, It's not too difficult, Stacey. The next stop will be Rough Giraffe. Mass hysteria is fascinating. If anyone doesn't know, I suppose mass hysteria is a phrase that gets bandied around nowadays. Hysterics and hysteria get bandied around anyway, don't they? They do. But it's funny how if something's funny, it can be hysterical. Yes. But then if a, usually if a woman is being a bit melodramatic or crying, then negatively they can be hysterical as well. It's very... Interesting, the the double use of that word. But mass hysteria is when a large group or population get affected. They see collective illusions or delusions and start reacting in a way that seems like they are ill, sick or possessed. I know something of that from a girls boarding school I remember reading in the 70s. Yeah. Where all the girls became ill with the same thing yeah there was nothing wrong with any of them they just all picked up on what the first one had got yeah there's loads of examples of it i was looking at the wikipedia page for mass hysteria and there's just so many different ones but one of my favorites is in an 1844 medical journal it describes an account of a nun in a french convent in the middle ages who for no known reason started meowing like a cat okay and then her fellow nuns in the convent started meowing like a cat and they would meow at the same time every day for a certain amount of time and no one could get them to stop and no one knew why they were doing it and it was freaking the villagers out so they did eventually stop because the police threatened to whip them so that obviously then a good whipping is the cure for mass hysteria yeah it seems that nuns were quite affected by mass hysteria because a lot of the time they were kind of forced to go into the convent by their family and often 
it was a bit of, well, depression or defiance. No one really quite knows why, but it starts off with one person doing something and then the others just think, oh, I might get away with this. And then people start feeling that way. The power of suggestion is very interesting. There was another a German convent in the 1400s where a nun started biting the other nuns and then it started spreading to other convents. So it went from Germany to Holland and to Italy and they started having accounts of nuns in Italian convents biting each other. <laughs> it's so bizarre. But it's surprising that the that it actually spread because there'd be no No, exactly, exactly. That That's one of the things I was surprised about with that at that time. You know, you'd usually think it was confined within the convent or within a village. There's lots of accounts of villagers just suddenly dancing and can't stop dancing. There was a dancing plague in 1518 where people were dancing for days and some of them dropped down dead from exhaustion and heart attacks and no one knew why they started. So it happens a lot in schools, especially with young girls girls in schools, epidemics of school children that start to have a tremor when they write and it was unexplained and it just spread through this whole school where they were basically just their hands were shaking when they were trying to write. I'm guessing that it's something else, a a sort of peer pressure. Yes. Because when there's quite a few of you, you don't want to be the one that's not got the tremor. No, exactly. And these things aren't just from way back when. There have been epidemics and, and mass hysteria uh, more recently. As you said, you heard of someone in the 70s. There was one in 1965, which was in Blackburn, where some girls in a school started saying they were feeling dizzy. Uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. It ended up with 85 girls being rushed to hospital because they thought that some chemical had been released in the school, but they were all absolutely normal. There was absolutely nothing wrong with them. And these sort of things go on. Even now, there are schools where people are getting symptoms. And there's also, do you remember a couple of years ago, this is like 2016, where people kept seeing evil clowns in America? Ah, right, yeah. And there was no evidence that there was any clown at all, but people were getting scared and and thought that there were clowns everywhere. So... It still happens. And I think with social media, it can happen much quicker now than it used to. It can happen in a wider area because it doesn't have to just be within that school or factory. Or This is almost now like flash hysteria. Yeah, exactly. So you can put it on Facebook that you've seen someone prowling and suddenly everybody's seeing someone prowling and now they're in the next town and now they're, you know, in the next country. And so the potential for real widespread mass hysteria is there when they broadcast george orwell's war of the worlds yeah i do believe that it caused such an outbreak of hysteria that 23 people committed suicide the power of suggestion and maybe just rumor and fear and all of these things the way they act on your psyche it's incredible hey you yeah you got something to say, then say it here. Email us at roughgiraffepodcast at gmail.com. Twitter at roughgiraffepod. Instagram at roughgiraffepodcast. Search us on Facebook for Rough Giraffe. Subscribe and review us on iTunes and Podbean. Thanks. So, 
know. What have you got? Well, I've got Mania. Okay. Mania. Yeah. Is actually a... Well, she's a Greek and a Roman goddess. Oh, was she manic? She is the goddess of rabies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not a good one. Well, she is mania and mania spelt slightly different in both Roman and Greek mythology. Yeah. In Roman mythology, she's the goddess of the dead and the goddess of ghosts. Okay. The mother of ghosts, I think. Okay. And spirits of the nightmares. Oh. The horses that travel in the night. Mm. And in Greek, she is the spirit of insanity and madness and goddess of rabies. I feel like there was some sort of raffle. They were pulling the names out of the hat and they're going, yeah. okay, Mania, you've got the ghosts, you've got the madness and, oh, what's this one left? Rabies? Right, now, it's quite interesting. You can see it on Estrusian and Roman pottery. Yeah. And she is dressed in a very Gimpy short skirt. Right. With quite a trendy little waistcoat. Nice. And she's always got a a dog hat on. What do you mean a dog hat? You know, like uh, you'd have a a hat shaped like a dog. Is it like those people at Disneyland who wear a goofy hat? No, no, no. It's more like, you know, if you had a bloodhound on your head. Oh, yeah. The ears would be like the flaps. Yeah, I get it. So she's got like a dog head with long ears. Oh, nice. And it says once you have the mania, there is no cure for you. So maybe that's why she's the goddess of rabies. Oh, okay. She's most things that are insane, madness and rabid. But like you said, I think she drew the short straw there. Yeah, poor thing. Hystera had some sisters called Fury and Ire. Okay. And Melancholia. And they basically are goddesses of what they sound like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm thinking... What a family. (laughs) Can you imagine about the Christmas party? That's a rowdy bunch, I'm sure. They'd probably be all right when they're all together. But their mania is bringing rabies to the party. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been hypnotised? I've attempted for somebody to hypnotise me, Mm. but it's not worked. Have you? I've never been hypnotised, no. I don't really want to. So when I click my fingers... (laughs) A count to three, and you'll be a chicken. I did this a few years ago. Let's see if it still works. One, two, three. Meow. Meow. Oh, no. I knew it was wrong. <laughs> I'm a nun. And you're back in the room. <laughs> so hypnosis is used really as a therapy for psychiatry and psychology. And I just thought it was interesting. This kind of links to the mass hysteria in that... It does. It's the power of suggestion, really. I did a poll on Twitter to see whether anyone of our listeners had been hypnotised. Right. We had 50 responses. 50? None of them had been hypnotised. Okay. (laughs) Or none of them remember. I don't know what the situation is. But none of them them have been hypnotised. Most people have been under some sort of hypnosis without even realising. 
realising. Have they? It's just going into a trance. So anyone who's been driving along a, a long road and they just start going into a trance and really not being aware of their surroundings, that's a type of hypnosis because it's just deep relaxation. So they say that that is like a, a, a stage of hypnosis and, and also watching a film when you stop becoming aware of your surroundings, that's basically being hypnotised. Okay. Do you think this is why horror films scare you? Probably. But it's a real myth that people can make you do things you don't want to do. People that get up on stage at hypnotist shows are show-offs and they want to please the hypnotist. And so if he tells them to cluck like a chicken, they'll cluck like a chicken because they want to. Okay. Their inhibitions have been lowered by the relaxed state. But just so you know, 10 to 15% of people in the world are highly hypnotizable. Okay. 20% of people are completely not hypnotizable. Right. And those people that can be hypnotized tend to be more intelligent with better self-control. So I had this idea that maybe weak-minded people could be hypnotized, but it's actually the opposite. So we haven't got any strong-minded people that listen to this podcast. Not one. Who's there? Raph. Ruff who? Ruff giraffe! Oh, is that supposed to be funny? My mum thinks so. Do you realise that the American legislation did not take the word lunatic, uh, the wording of all of its laws and statutes, until 2012? Is that because all the lunatics were finally out of America, so they didn't need it? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> it was a legislative term all over the world. Lunatic. Is it related to the moon? It's related to the moon in as Luna was a Roman goddess. Okay. Uh, or a pagan goddess. I'm trying to think. And she was the goddess of the moon and ticks. She was a goddess that um, was unpredictable and did crazy things on full moons. Oh, that lunar. That lunar. The lunatic. Mm. Now, they reckon that the word means moonstruck. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was commonly used in law. Uh, even on the census, it said, was the person a lunatic or an idiot? Is an idiot official term? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was up until the 19... 19- 40s, I think. Wow. As far as I can remember from reading the censuses before when I was doing the family tree, an idiot is a person of feeble mind that cannot care for their own well-being. Okay. So they need to be looked after. Not necessarily mad, just not able to look after themselves. So that could just be an older person. It could be, yeah. But they generally mean it to be from birth. Oh, okay. A lunatic is a person who, for large spans of time, act in a normal or almost normal manner. Mm. And then they have fits of madness. Okay. They used to say that epilepsy was a form of lunacy. Oh, okay. However, the difference is a lunatic will generally remember that they've had these episodes of craziness. That just sounds like 
mania and sort of in manic depression where they have mania and then episodes of deep depression. I think it's manic depressives, yes, yeah. But the main thing is that it was used for hundreds of years in legal terms. You, the word was used quite freely, even as I said on the census. So Lewis Carroll did not invent the Mad Hatter. Oh, who invented the Mad Hatter? Uh, Mercury. <laughs> Mercury invented the Mad Hatter. Mercury... The substance or the planet? Mercury, the planet. No, Mercury, <laughs> no, you caught me out. Mercury, the substance. Okay. How does Mercury make Mad Hatters? Well, let's go back. <laughs> so we're going back to 17th century France. Ooh la la. The felt hat industry. Yeah. It was big in France. With the berets and all that. Yes, yeah. And uh, they used to use camel... Toe. Hair. <laughs> Not camel toe. That's a whole different <laughs> sort of hat. That's a bobble hat <laughs> with flowers. Oh, no. <laughs> so they used camel hair. They used camel hair to make the felt. And uh, they found that... If the felting process of bonding all the hairs together was speeded up if they dunked it in camel wee. Oh, lovely. So once they got back to France, obviously, there's not a lot of camels in Paris. No. (laughs) So they used to wee on them themselves while they were making the hats. Oh, that's why they go wee wee, I think. (laughs) I'm here all week. They find out that certain people who were making the hats, their felt was superior to the others. Oh. They wanted to find out why. They worked out that all the people that made superior felt yeah. were being treated for syphilis. <laughs> They're weeing syphilis onto your hat. Disgusting. Yeah, I know. Just for special occasions. What was the treatment for syphilis back then? Mercury compound. Ah. They made the association between the treatment for syphilis and the nice felt. Okay. So somebody said, that's fine. They didn't give everybody mercury, but they put mercury in the water. Oh, okay. Okay, so that they could all have lovely soft felt hats, and that worked. And then one of the problems was that everybody started drooling and shaking. Okay. And they got dementia quite early. And in the felt hat industry, all over the world where they were making felt hats, they were using the same process of putting mercury in the water. And because they used steam to bond the felt, the mercury poisoning gave them a combination of dementia and parkinson's disease and so they became very wobbly and they couldn't talk properly and they had strange outbursts of shouting and where right yeah and they became known that they were all the hatters were mad so lewis carroll had a mad hatter yes but lewis carroll actually probably based his 
Mad Hatter on a furniture dealer in London who was called the Mad Hatter. And he always wore a top hat with tickets in the side. Oh, like how he's depicted. Yes. He had a very eccentric walk and talk. Okay. But in America, the Hatters there in Danbury, Connecticut, it was known as Hat City. And there was an ailment there called the Danbury Shake. Oh, so everybody had it. But the mercury was also used by doctors in the 19th century uh, to cure agitation and hysteria, we're back, in women. So to cure women's madness, they gave them mercury to make them mad. Now, mercury, it's such a dangerous poison. Yeah. But it was used in loads of things. It was given to babies. Oh, my word. On, oh, I think I've probably had mercury when I was little. <laughs> One of its main things was it made your gums very soft. Right. You wouldn't know what it is now, but we used to have something called a teething powder in a little packet. Right. A white powder. It was, it was called calomel. Right. That was just a colourless mercury chloride. It didn't taste of anything. They used to put calomel powder in a little packet. Yeah. And you were to rub it on the baby's gums and it softened the gums and let teeth come through. That's what they thought. And they used that right up until the... End of the 1950s into the 60s. Oh, wow. Guess who isn't coming to dinner? So, the answer to Guess Who's Not Coming to Dinner was, of course, the outspoken and eccentric Pete Burns, lead singer of Dead or Alive, who had a number one hit worldwide with you spin me right round, baby, right round, like a record, baby, round, right round. Guess who isn't coming to dinner? Are you ready to hear about lobotomies? Go on, do it. So back in the days, way back when, you go back to ancient Greek times, People were recognising depression, but back then they used to do things to treat it that we would recommend now. So exercise, good diet, and you know Pythagoras, the mathematician? Yeah. Well, not personally. He used to prescribe music therapy. That's right. And he used to have different music scales that he would give to people depending on what it was that he was treating. I thought that was very interesting. But as medicine and psychiatry progressed, uh, people didn't want to treat it that way anymore. They wanted to basically chop out the bad bit in your brain. And so lobotomies were developed. And the first guy to really do the operation was a Portuguese chap called Antonio Igas Moniz. Moniz? <laughs> that was in 1935, and he did a brain operation called a, a leucotomy. That's right. Now, do you know why, how and why he did it? I know how he did it. Okay, but do you know what gave him the idea? No, what was it? Uh, as far as I remember, a gentleman in Portugal that suffered from very severe epileptic fits. mm He fell 
off a wall and a wooden stake went through his forehead and out the other side of his head. (laughs) I think he lost the sight of his eye and his arm was not too good. He lost some of the use of his right arm. Yeah. But his epileptic fit stopped completely and never had another one. Ah, okay. Now, this guy, I don't know whether Monith was treating him or he heard about it. Yeah. But he he put together the idea that the epilepsy had probably got something to do with that part of his brain. Yeah. Uh, And I suppose one thing led to another, but I think that's how he had the idea in the first place. Yeah, so... He drilled into the skull of his patients to obliterate part of the brain. They're not that precise, though, are they? No, no. But he received the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1949 uh, because of his innovations in treating mental illness with the leukotomy. But a year after Monith did it, the lobotomy arrived in America It did indeed, with the lobotomy mobile. Yeah, but it was Walter Freeman that uh, pioneered it, as it were, with another surgeon in in America. And basically, they established the name lobotomy rather than leukotomy. And they did originally drill, but then uh, Walter Freeman developed his... Now, this is going to be a bit gross for people. Cheers. He developed the ice pick lobotomy where basically you get a, a a metal spiky stick and hammer it into someone's eye so that it gets to the, any random bit of the brain. Swish it about a bit. Swish it about a bit. They say, they say that he would beat it like an egg whisk, pull it out, and bada-bing, bada-boom. And he basically turned the lobotomy into a kind of a, a show, and we'd go around and doing them. He One day he did 25 lobotomies. His record apparently said he did a lobotomy in just under 12 minutes. That's not something I'd be proud of. That's No. That's, that's gross. He did it on a 12-year-old boy. He did it on Rosemary Kennedy and turned her into a vegetable. He did. He did it on quite a few people, really. But, yeah, he did it on a 12-year-old boy because... His stepmother said he was acting uh, defiant. He wouldn't go to bed and he was daydreaming. And doctors said, oh, he's just a normal boy. And she said, no, he's not. And she convinced Walter Freeman to do the lobotomy on him. To be fair, from what I've read, Walter Freeman did not need a lot of convincing. Oh, no, not at all. He would do anything to really say, oh, look, I'm the first to do this, and now I've done it, as you said, in 12 minutes, and now I've done this boy. So he was doing this right up until 1967. Yeah, when he he got struck off, thank goodness. Yeah, because he killed somebody. Well, he probably killed thousands of people, if I'm honest. Well, they found out that 40% of the people that he operated on were left in a seriously not good state Mm. about two percent of everybody that he operated on were actually left in some sort of vegetative state where they just could not function without a great deal of care yeah uh yeah thankfully that ended yeah the last patient that he that he operated on 
it was the third lobotomy he was performing on this woman. Wow. So she'd had it done twice before and her symptoms came back. So he did it again and killed her. And then they sent no more. During that, the heyday of lobotomies, about 50,000 were performed in the US overall. And they were doing it for all sorts of things. They would do it mainly, they said to begin with, for depression and schizophrenia. But in the end, it was chronic pain, backache, yeah. anything. They thought it was perfectly all right to knock an ice pick into your eye socket. Oh. Without, may I add, I know you're all wretched now, but without anaesthetic... Oh, no, he would give electric shock therapy first. We were very fond of electric shock therapy in the UK. When did we stop using electric shock therapy, do you know? We haven't. We still use it. Really? Yeah. Of course we do, yeah. Electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. It's still used in psychiatric hospitals now. I suppose you're right. It's been a long while since I've been in a psychiatric hospital. I know... As as sorry, as as a doctor, not as a patient. And I think you're right. I think there was an ECT room. Uh, I know that the use of ECT in India has increased by about twenty percent in the last three or four years because they've wow. decided that it's easier to give someone the shock therapy rather than find the money for the drugs that they haven't got. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. Hey there, who's that? What's the name of a wonky cat? He'll look twice than any cat around. Kipper, hey, that's Kipper. Hey, that's Kipper, the wonky cat. Uh, what does Kipper think of madness? Uh, <laughs> Kipper, do you want to come in here? <laughs> Kipper's mad, but not in a crazy way. He's just a bit... Is he Is he just annoyed? He's annoyed. He doesn't like being woken up. As much as he likes to talk to you, he doesn't like to be woken up. Evening, Kipper. Oh, dear. Not in a good mood. He's not in a good mood. And actually, that's quite fitting for the question we have for you today, Kipper. So we have a question for Kipper from Bridget. Hello, Bridget. Hello, Bridget. Now, she says, Hi, Kipper. <coughs> purr, purr, pet, pet. Bit weird. Okay. No, she thinks he's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> My cat, Amy May, is wonderful. All right, this isn't the Amy May show. But sometimes when I pet her, she will suddenly reach out and bite me. Amy May, Amy May, Amy May. Amy May, Amy May, Amy May, Amy May. I'm doing the background music for you. Okay, okay, so um, one second she is a furry purring angel, then the next second she is a slashing, biting ball of demon fury. Is that furry or fury? Fury. (laughs) She's a fury, is one of them goddesses. She's a furry fury. Okay. Do you ever feel like doing that, Kipper, attacking while purring? Why do cats do that? Thanks, Kipper. You are the cat's meow. <coughs> well, um, Kipper acts in exactly the same way as Amy May, don't you, Kipper? <coughs> Kipper will ask for 
fusses, he will say, oh, I love you so much. Can you please fuss me? And then the minute you put your hand on him, he goes, not there. Don't touch me there. Oh my God, get away from me. Ah! But I don't know why do you do that, Kipper. Because he can. Because he's got claws. He doesn't have teeth. He's only got three teeth. Claws is all he's got. Cats is mean. So thank you, uh, Amy May. Amy May. Amy May. Amy May. Amy May. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks, Bridget. So I've got cats at the minute. What cats you got? Uh, I've got the street cats, aren't I? Street cats. Street cats. I'm putting the stuff up on the Patreon page so people get a, a lowdown of what's going on. Yeah, so we've got a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash rough giraffe where we have extra content and bonus features. So if you give us a little bit of money each month. I need to, I need, I need to feed the cat. <laughs> yeah, mum needs money to feed these stray cats. So if you give us a bit of money, you can see all of that extra us, I suppose. Yeah, I've got some film of the cats, so I need naming for a start. How many cats are there? Uh, about 17. <laughs> okay. It's a lot of cats. So the main ones are Clyde and Juanita. Yes. And Juanita's a beautiful Burmese cat with a smutty black nose. Ooh. And Clyde is a ginger cat and I thought he just had a bit of a wonky leg but I think he may have something wrong with his nervous system uh, and his leg goes into a bit of a spasm yeah and then it goes stiff and then he falls over into the gutter oh no at which point people come along and scratch his belly oh does he fight he just doesn't want to be run over oh and then uh, Juanita feeds Clyde with the pizza from the pizza van what do you mean how is she getting pizza I'll tell you that in the Patreon page is a whole new story of how we saved Juanita this week but you can hear about the uh, tabs oh, they're real sluts I can say that <laughs> Juanita and Clyde belong to the stripes Yeah. and then the tabs are on the other side of the road oh gang it's gang right but uh, Juanita's and Clyde have uh, well I say they're better they've got Ronnie and Reggie I don't really know what I should call them but they are uh, they're right cockney cats they're very <laughs> vocal they're very vocal like Kipper yes but they are alright 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 you alright you alright you alright like that yeah mostly uh, I'll tell you about them but I need them all naming I need to put the pictures up I actually do need them all counting I've sat on the side of the road and filmed them and I just need to put the pictures up the actual video up to see if somebody can count them because I don't know whether the ones under the car are the ones on the wall in the next two <laughs> seconds. Do you see what I mean? Uh, they move too quickly for you. They move too quick for me. There's a lot of black ones. Black one with a stubby tail. Anyway, I'm going to put the video up and see if people, somebody can uh, tell me how many cats there are and then we can name them. Oh, okay. So we can put that all up on the Patreon. We can put 
put up the cat pictures so that we can get them named. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll tell you the story every week of Clyde and Juanita. Lovely. There's different things happening. Good. It sounds exciting. Here it is, the unrelated news with Stacey. Do you want to hear some unrelated news before we go? I would love to hear some unrelated news. So, the headline is, Man denies turning his house into a restaurant despite giant neon sign outside. What, did it say restaurant? (laughs) Basically. So, this is a story from The Mirror that was published in January. This is a man who basically has made the outside of his house look like a restaurant. It's in Norwich. It's just a a normal house in the street and it's basically got a big neon sign above the door that says Orlando's, okay? And then there's phone numbers to call to make bookings for tables and it's a Japanese barbecue restaurant. That's what it looks like. But he says he's not running a restaurant and everyone around him is saying he is. He's advertising on Facebook. But the weird thing is whenever the council go round to his house to see if it's a restaurant, uh, it's not a restaurant, it's just his house. But there have been like TripAdvisor reviews and Google reviews of people that say how nice the food is. But the council keep going around. They've said they've been around four times now and they are still unsure if this is a restaurant or not. I think they're just going there for a nice meal. Yeah. And they're like, um, I think I think we might need to go back again just to check if it's a restaurant or not. Oh, no, don't know. <laughs> you know what? He's got them walls that just fold over you think it's like like a library like a bookcase where it just flips around yeah and it's there and then all the tables just flip the floor and all the tables come up (laughs) instant restaurant and then flips over and it's a sofa i mean what could you say if you walked in and somebody had got half a dozen tables chairs in there just say i just like tables and chairs i'll just say we've got a big family we all like to eat dinner together the house has seven bedrooms it's a big house Okay. So you could just say there's lots of us living here and we all like to all dine separately, either <laughs> either in groups of two or four. I'm always forgetting my phone number. <laughs> so I thought I'd put it up outside. As I'm walking along the street coming home, I just need to go, <laughs> oh yeah, there's my house, Orlando's, that's my name. <laughs> I must make a booking. <laughs> Let the wife know I'll be late for dinner. <laughs> I don't know how he thinks he's going to get away with it. It's it's ridiculous, but there we go. Okay, so that's been very good, very interesting. Yes, it is very interesting. It's it's a shocking subject, and that's no pun intended. Uh, no. But the progress that has been made in the last 50 years or so, hopefully for the better. We never got to talk about lunatic asylums or anything like that well we'll have to save that for another day it's a very very interesting subject it is uh i would like to talk about the medieval treatment of madness but that again is uh, oh i bet that's horrifying you'd be surprised ridding people of demons probably isn't it there's a lot of demons okay so thank you for that thank you i'll speak to you again soon all right then i'll talk to you all right then bye. bye it's the end of the podcast it is very sad but tune in again and it won't be so bad with mum in the villa and
Stacy at home. Send us your stories on your smartphone. And then everybody won't feel so alone. The Rough Giraffe Podcast. The Rough Giraffe Podcast. This podcast is part of Brit Pod Scene an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more.